they just they didn't want to take the risk. Uh, they, they blow in, so they. Ooh. they, they... Oh, oh, green light is is on. You see there, we're live. Oh, yeah. Live, yeah. we're live. Hello, <laughs> <laughs> fans, fans, and welcome to Mission Control. As always, here in deepest, darkest Devon, the latest interstellar instalment of We Are Not Scientists. Well, today, uh, you might have heard, we're discussing the super exciting Artemis mission, which, as you've probably heard, is currently waiting patiently for its liftoff. But more about that later. I'm here, as always, in mission control with our righteous commander, LP. How you doing, LP? Hi, yes, I am. I'm, I'm good, mate. I'm good. Good, good. And, and then beaming in from a top secret bunker somewhere under the Canadian Arctic, our very own queen of the service, Christelle, is here. It is really, really good to hear your voices. I'm really glad to be beaming in. Oh, great to hear your voice too. Um, so, so LP, let's, let's get right into it. For the benefit of those who have been uh, living under a space rock for the past couple of weeks, tell us, what is what is the Artemis mission? Well, the, the Artemis the Artemis program is ultimately, um, like it's going to be a series of increasingly complex missions designed to take humans back to the moon and beyond. So pretty exciting. Pretty exciting. I know. I know. You corrected me there. Not mission. Uh, well, there's Artemis One, which is the first of uh, three planned missions, and hopefully many more. Uh, which is the one we'll probably be delving into today in, in most depth, because that's the one that we're we're hoping will launch. Probably looking at October now. Okay, that that's a uh, that makes sense. That, that's a uh, that's what it is in a nutshell. I don't know if you could tell me. Who is Artemis? Oh, I've got this one. Oops. I know, I know. Pick me. <laughs> Artemis is a goddess from Greek mythology. She was the goddess of the hunt and of the moon, which is quite fitting. But the people at NASA don't mess around when they name stuff, right? I love how into this whole naming of programs they are. So Artemis was the daughter of Zeus, but she's also the twin sister of Apollo. Ah, uh, Apollo missions, right? Get it, get it. Yeah. To top it all off, because you know you've got the Orion craft as part of the Artemis, you know, the, the collection of vehicles within the Artemis missions, the Artemis program. Orion was actually supposedly the lover of Artemis and she when he was i don't know killed by a scorpion or something she is the one who had him put into the stars as the constellation we know orion well they don't mess around the people at nasa they've got this naming thing down you know so so you, you mentioned orion there so lp tell us about yeah. the rocket because we all love, love love a good old rocket pity it's not gone up yet but it's just nice to see the rocket yeah, yeah. Well, well, as part of the Artemis program, uh, there's something known as the Space Launch System or the SLS, uh, and this is what NASA have been working on for a number of years. Uh, this is probably if you've seen the news and you've seen this massive orange cylinder with two big booster rockets slapped to the side of it. This is the the SLS or Space Launch System. It stands about 100 meters tall. Um, it features a core stage, liquid hydrogen and oxygen tanks. They mix together and create combustion. It's actually a very clean way to do it. You, I think you only really get a bit of steam out the back end. Uh, that features four RS-25 engines, two solid booster rockets strapped to the side. When that takes off, it's going to create about 8.8 .8 million pounds of thrust. 
which I believe is about 20-25% more for us than Saturn V, which took the Neil Armstrong and his buddies to the moon back in 1969. It's great to see it's see the rocket, you know, because ultimately it's not changed over how many years? You know, a rocket's a rocket, a space rocket's a space rocket. You know, the, the, <laughs> the things that kids draw, you know, on, on their, you know, and then when, when, when they're little and they think about space and space rockets, it's still the same thing, you know? That is an interesting point you raised there, and I'd like to come back to that later on because uh, I've got some more stuff to talk about. Uh, we will, the, will not come back to it. <laughs> technology that's used within this particular space uh, launch system and other competing technologies that are out there in the private sector at the moment. But so, so moving on from that, so we've got the we've got the SLS, the the, the space launch system and, and the rocket as it were but uh, aloft that will sit what's known as an interim cryogenic propulsion stage which features a single engine so once this thing blasts off of the launch pad uh, with all 8.8 .8 million pounds of thrust that will burn until it sort of gets into low earth, earth orbit and the, the rocket first the rocket boosters will will jettison from the side just like you used to see with the space uh, shuttle launches then the, the, the main stage, that will fire for another few minutes. Then that will sort of be jettisoned. And then you'll have like the front part of the space, what's left of the space rocket. Um, and then that that will, I think, well, that will stick it in an orbit. And then that will fire. And then out of that will come the, the Orion, the actual Orion spacecraft, which features a service module, which contains all sort of like, you know, solar panels and electricity supplies and everything else. A crew module, which is where the crew will sit. But on top, in front of the crew module is actually a, well, some, something known as the launch abort system which essentially, if ever there's a problem with the takeoff, uh, there's a problem with the rocket, the, the, basically the crew can abort very quickly and and be launched um, um, completely safely. Like is, in it, a is, it, is it a big red button? You know, I'm not quite sure, actually. I'm sure there probably is like a quick release button that, you know, if you've got an emergency, just... I assume, like a uh, like a fighter pilot and their ejector seat. I'm sure there's something they can pull, or there'll be a computer system that'll go. I'm not happy, so I'm going to abort, and then, but we're already in the air, so then the the astronauts can can be safely sort of ejected away from the the main main part of the rocket. That abort system that does cut out at some point, doesn't it? Is it after the second burn? I'm sure it, it it's only viable up until a certain point so once they get to I, d I don't know if it's once they're on that sort of second burn that then that's it man they're off in space and they've got to they got to rely on their own good good senses to get themselves out of trouble yes i think i think you're right Christelle. it is it's literally during the main the main burn uh where where and that's where the most of the hazard is in a rocket launch you know you you sat on this thing that's fully fueled so it's it's those first few minutes that that if there's a problem then yet yeah, they 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 can abort i think once they've sort of they're at, they've they've they're out of the earth's atmosphere the the risk is a lot lower so then the the abort i believe the abort module is actually kind of again jettisoned away because uh, it's not required anymore because mm -hmm. the actual orion spacecraft can then just separate rapidly if there was a problem at that point and can still uh, has can, thrusted so can we not focus can... on aborting the mission <laughs> <laughs> we've already had two 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 aborted takeoffs so <laughs> on this yeah. should i say not takeoff it's, it's but but again it's 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 good that you know if we're going to space travel is inherently dangerous so so you know to build some uh, some safety safety mechanisms in there in case there's a problem it's never going to be never going to be a bad thing but uh, but yeah so there we go. The point of this this particular this particular mission, isn't it, the Artemis one, is to make sure that everything they're trying to do works before they put 
humans on that rocket you know it's a it's a really it's kind of a different approach from what they had in the in the 70s and the so 60s there's no and there's, no, there's no living organism on, on board. no not not on this flight they're going to test everything they're going to make sure it all works they're going to make sure all the equipment is working when they're you know on the dark side of the moon and they can't, don't have direct com, uh, contact they're they're testing everything and they have a few payloads i'm not sure what the scientific payloads are but obviously if you're going to go into space you're going to want to get the most out of it so they do have a few scientific payloads on there as well but the main the main point of this mission is to make sure that it's safe for humans to go out there i really hope it's not how <laughs> yeah no no as christelle said as christelle says i mean this is purely a robotic uh an automatic mission that, that that will be yeah just be on board computers and there'll be ground control and kennedy that'll be that'll be sort of making changes and observing everything uh it's actually artemis 2 which is due to go up hopefully within maybe a year of artemis 1 which will carry the first humans because let's be, be clear with this artemis is going to take off and it's going to go into an orbit a retrograde grade orbit around the around the moon or the opposite way to which the moon rotates it's going to and it's going to probably fly out almost 280,000 miles past the moon and then back again and do i think it do an orbit uh, and then back to earth and all in all it's going to do about 1.3 million miles so it's going to go further than any craft that's designed to carry humans has ever been and then artemis 2 will carry the first human crew i think it's four four the the, the orion uh, module or the orion spacecraft and carry four humans uh, around uh, the moon and that will come back and it, i think it's artemis 3 which they're hoping maybe three or four years will be the one that will actually finally land on the moon itself and put humans back on the moon for the first time since 1972 which is over 50 years ago, Simon. It's, this, uh, it's, it's about time, I think, uh, we, we, as, a, as a species set foot back on the moon. Oh, for sure. It's, it's not like the, the first time that man uh, stepped foot on the moon, which was um, one, one shot, dead up there. <laughs> An old drama that took place. More of a measured approach, I would say. But looking to, yes. I, I guess, in the future, like, you know, to actually make use of, of, of the moon. So they have to kind of get, get everything right early on so that that it's going to be a more regular regular thing well at the end of the day um you know they want to eventually use the moon as as a jump off point don't they you know nasa aren't they're not shy about it they're very open about it the the goal is to eventually be able to use the moon as a jumping point uh to be able to get to mars and beyond so it's it is these early stages of making that happen it's is what makes it so exciting you know this these are like really tantalizing steps that we haven't seen in a very, very long time. And remember, they're doing it on a budget of like, what, like 0.5% of the the military budget that's used or something like that. I, I think in America, it's such a tiny, tiny amount of money compared to what they were using on the Apollo missions. So it, it's incredible stuff what they're doing right now. Yeah, yeah, no, you're absolutely right, Christelle. I believe it's 0.5% of uh, all uh, federal expenditure is being is 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 what NASA have available to yeah, them. To on spend. on all of NASA, not just this mission. All as NASA, well, yeah, right? that, that's yeah, a, yeah. That's space telescope. That's all like sort of deep space missions. Everything is 0.5% of the U.S. federal budget. But when the Apollo missions were going on, they had five percent of the federal budget. That was almost like a blank checkbook. However many 
hundreds of thousands of engineers and scientists you need to employ to make this happen, just make it happen. But this time they're having to do it on a lot more of a frugal uh, budget to make it work. So, so LP, what's the um, what's the third mission? When's that going to be and, what, and what, what's going to happen then? Uh, the third mission is going to be, hopefully, if all goes to plan, it's going to be a mission that's going to land people actually back on the moon for the first time. So we're going to actually have astronauts on the moon walking around, just, again, acclimatise themselves back in the lunar environment, probably doing some science, uh, and just, just, just again, just getting back to grips with, with, with what life actually living on the lunar surface would actually be like. When will that be? We don't know at the moment. I mean, I think they're planning the next sort of three to four years, hopefully, okay. if, everything, if everything goes to plan. It's just all going to be dependent on how successful Artemis 1 is and then how successful Artemis 2 is. And if there are no problems and things go OK, then, then, then yeah, hopefully they can, they, can, they can do that. Eventually, that's going to lead to, uh, to, to an Artemis base camp where there'll be sort of like, you know, a permanent cabin on the moon. Uh, they also, I think they want to put like almost like a mobile home, like the, a lunar Winnebago, so they can go out, but quite long distances uh, in a kind of like a, a mobile environment. And also a good old fashioned rover as well for just having a quick, uh, a quick explore around a, a relatively sort of close area. Um, I think also they're going to, they want to, they want to locate the uh, Artemis base camp uh, on the on the south pole of the moon there's some regions on the south pole where because of the way the moon rotates there's some rims of some craters that are always in sunlight so they're a really good place to put things like solar panels because you get like non-stop power all year round so so it sort of makes sense and there's also lots of water ice uh, buried in those areas because they're, they're frozen solid and there's some other areas very near those craters that are always in shadow meaning you've got lots of frozen water that's been trapped there for billions of years and if you've got frozen water where well, you can you can melt that and you've got drinking water also from water because it contains hydrogen and oxygen you can create breathing air and you can also create more rocket fuel you can create rocket fuel then you can build rockets and things that can take you to further afield such as mars and as christelle was saying that's why they want it as a staging post to our next kind of big leap as a species and that's putting people uh put, putting people on mars probably within the in the 2030s so Hey guys, uh, just so you know, I'm going to have to leave because I am expecting a delivery. I've got um, some equipment arriving for my, you know, my little enterprise that I was working on over Blue Dot. Oh yeah, the t teleportation device that you say, so you say you've uh, created. Well, you know, I was there. I gave you guys some pretty good anecdotal evidence, I have to say. Oh, well, I've seen I've seen your photos too, and to, to me it looks it looks it looks it looks kosher, it looks real. But I, I get I get tricked by magic, you see. Like I, I can't work out how <laughs> do their tricks. It baffles me. So quite easy to fool, I think. Did you ever watch that program that was he was like the masked magician, and he used to tell all the magician's secrets? Maybe you should watch that. That's a good idea. That's a great idea. Well, uh, yeah. How do how do you get your deliveries uh, under the Canadian Arctic? Oh, well, it depends on what it is, really. I mean, we do try and keep things as sustainable as we can up here. Um, so if it's a small delivery, I've got a, a peregrine falcon that is like my sort of messenger pigeon, nice. if you will, but acclimatized to the area. He's called Percy. Uh, so he'll pick up small deliveries like microchips and USBs and little things that birds like to carry. But if I'm expecting big stuff like I am today, there'll be a caribou delivery this afternoon. 
Fantastic. I can just picture it now. What what a beautiful scene. <laughs> just me. Just me and Percy the Falcon. Yeah, you got your servers though. I do have the servers. They do keep me warm. Cool, well bye then. Okay, it's nice nice to uh, speak to Christelle there. Yeah, yeah, no, it was. It was. Um so yeah, Simon, so we're obviously very excited about the Artemis program, and how can you not be excited about humans going back to the moon? But it's not without its controversy, to be honest. Um, one of the things that's being sort of talked about a lot within the kind of rocket engineer kind of spheres is the fact that it's actually built on some really old technology. So we talked about the rocket structure earlier, and ultimately the the, the rockets, the, the, the engines that are going to power this thing, they literally came off of a space shuttle. And I'm not saying they just made the exactly same model, they actually took them off the space shuttles and just refurbished them. The, the rocket boosters themselves, exactly this, as what was strapped to the side of the, 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 the space shuttle uh, launches. I think they made them, a, they put an extra stage in there to give them a bit more power. But ultimately, this is very old fashioned technology that's not new in any way. It's just been reused. Well, but if you compare that with Elon Musk's sort of uh, starship, well, now that really is a revolutionary design. Because um, another thing to say about SLS, it's completely expendable. It gets used once and then it's all just basically, it's all wasted. Uh, it's never used again. Whereas Elon Musk's system is something that will go up. And as we've seen his space rockets, they'll land themselves and they should end up being a lot cheaper. So I still think in the longer term, yes, you know, SLS is going to be a great way to get us back to the moon, but they reckon each launch is going to cost billions of dollars. Whereas Starship, Elon saying this may only be millions of dollars. So, so it's going to be interesting to see how, like you know, government-funded NASA program versus private enterprise, how these two things work together. Because of course, NASA are using the Starship, or going to pay to use the Starship on certain missions coming forward. So, just thought it's worth put, putting that one in there and seeing how private enterprise, which is really going to be a driver of of, of space travel in the mid twenty first century, how that's going to kind of challenge nasa's dominance in the sector you, you couldn't wait to tell me that could you just as soon as chris tells off it was just straight 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 into it <laughs> well, it's just it's just i think it's just worth pointing out um that it's just a, a they're, very, they're very different engineering approaches to, to to solve ultimately the same problem and i just i, I just have this sense that elon's is a much a much more beautiful and slicker modern approach to space travel as opposed to nasa's very Kind of, you know, traditional way of doing things. What about Bezos? <laughs> Bezos. Um, I think he, I'm sure Blue Origin. They've got they've got something to do with uh, something that's going to land on the moon. But I, I I still think for me, um, you might you might like him, you might loathe him. But Elon, he's 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 the boy when it comes to when it comes to sticking things in space and landing them back on Earth and doing it kind of over and over again, very successfully. Yeah, it's just really exciting stuff. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm just gonna. Get on my Raspberry Pi now and just check out the uh, ticket situation for the Tim Peak gig. Gig, should I say? The Tim Peak show at the Plymouth Pavilions. Because uh, you, you got a ticket and didn't get me one. Thank you for that. <laughs> Apologies, Simon. No, I, I, I just, when I saw it come up, um, I just, I had to grab myself a ticket. It's 19th of September and super excited uh, again to listen to a, a, a real living astronaut uh, tell us and explain um, space travel and what, and what it's actually like to be sat aloft one of these uh, space rockets and to, to yeah, to, to have the thrill of the ride into space and, and to also understand what, what, what it's like to live in zero G is, you know, so, such an alien concept to, to you and I that have just spent our lives living down here on terra firma. 
Awesome, awesome. Well, hopefully, I'll get to I'll get to see it soon. My my uh, the the ticket site's buffering. Uh, so I hope it's not sold out. Uh... Hey, Wans fans! Why not get in touch with us on Twitter? You can tell us the space and science topics you'd love Commander LP to explain, and feel free to share any surprising facts you may need verifying. And we'll pick our favorites for inclusion in future episodes. Our Twitter handle is at WANS2001. And if you are just a little shy right now, that's okay. But if you could, we'd really appreciate you pressing that follow button.